0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Elevation Church. Today we'll hear from lead pastor Dave Carroll as he teaches a message from our series, Enemies of Gratefulness, entitled Enemy Number Two, Unforgiveness. Let's join in now. Well, we are in. The series, Enemies of Gratefulness, and we tackle enemy number two, unforgiveness. And so as we've been doing the entire series, we're going to stand and say our memory verse together. So if you would just stand, and this, the verse will be on the screen or in your program. If you're taking notes, you can see it there if, you need to, uh, if you're nearsighted and need to read closer. But it's 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Let's say it together. One, two, three, go. in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Amen. Do you believe that? That is what God is asking us to do. You may be seated. Now, last week we learned that the only form of pride that we're really allowed to have is when our wife asks us to get some popcorn and and watch Pride and Prejudice, right? That's about the only kind of biblical pride that's acceptable. Uh, but this week, we move on to the second enemy. Well, pride places ourself in the way of a grateful heart. We exalt ourselves. We get in the way between us and God and being grateful to him. Uh, unforgiveness is, is a little different, and we'll talk about it. But before we get there, I want to recap what gratefulness is. Here's what gratefulness, biblical gratefulness, truly is. And if you missed this message, go back online at elevationbillings.com and look at the first message of this series, and you'll get a bigger description of biblical gratefulness. But here's what we know that gratefulness requires. It requires a giver. There's always a giver in gratefulness. It's not taking, it's not what I can get, but it's what I can give. It requires pleasing thoughts. Uh, we know that Philippians 4 says that whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, if it's lovely, excellent, of good repute, we think on these kind of things. And this leads us to gratefulness. Gratefulness always has a verbal response. Remember how we talked about the need to open our mouths. And that gratefulness that's unsaid is often not gratefulness at all. And then finally, we know that if we have any other object that our gratefulness is headed other than God, it's not truly gratefulness because true biblical gratefulness is always directed at God by faith. Now, when we get to unforgiveness, I know that some of us just want to skip this part because it's very painful. And so I found another method that you can take. Uh, Check this out. I found this out on the internet. Uh, It says some people just need a high five in the head with a chair, right? (laughs) And uh, we could take that method of unforgiveness... And uh, we may win a little bit and, uh, and gain about five minutes until the person gains consciousness of peace, right? But, but that's not really what scripture has to say, even though that's how we want to operate sometimes. Anybody know someone, they want to put a chair and uh, for a high five? Yeah. Can I get an amen? It might be the strongest amen I've ever received. And so, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of our view is, yeah, hey, I'll put up with that person. But I'm really not going to love them. I'm really not going to get, get down and free myself and free them. Uh, but, but I will hit them in the head with a chair if I get an opportunity. Well, here in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21, Jesus is having a conversation with Peter. Oh, man, we love Peter, don't we? Peter's one of these guys uh, we can all identify with because if there was a chance to get it wrong the first time, Peter was that guy. He always got it wrong the first time. And so, in verse 21, it says, Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Now, many of us have heard this passage before, but we may not realize what the significance of Peter saying seven times was. You see, back in the Old Testament, in the book of Amos, you could even look at Amos chapter 1, verse 3, God said he would forgive his enemies Three times, maybe if he was being merciful, there would be a fourth. So you have to stop here before we get any further in this parable, and realize that Peter's coming up to Jesus, thinking he has this question nailed. Right? He knows what's going to happen. Jesus, if someone sins against me, should I forgive him seven times? He knew that back in Amos, it was it was three, maybe four, and so he's expecting Jesus to go, "Whoa, you're a champion! You are the man." That's not what Jesus says. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to how many times? Say it together? 70 times seven. 70 times seven for you math nerds. <laughs> That's 490, right? Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed 10,000 talents. Now, this was, uh, this was an innumerable amount of money. This was way more than anyone could fathom, kind of like when Jesus said 70 times seven, uh, that it would be more forgiveness than we could imagine, that there is not a number that we can stop forgiving. Well, this, this servant here owed more money than was possible to pay back. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that a payment be made. Can you imagine owing a debt to where you had to sell your family off and couldn't be together? Um, now, that can be pretty harrowing. I remember when Amy was in college and we were dating, uh, she went on a mission trip to Africa, and the guy offered, uh, the head missionary leader, tri- guy of the, lead- of the trip, offered one cow for Amy. And, uh, yeah. And uh, I'm really glad that he didn't accept that offer and, uh, and send her away. But here the servant had to pay his entire family. So the servant, in verse 26, fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me. I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with, what's this word? Say it together. Compassion. He was moved with compassion. He released him and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out. And found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him. That doesn't mean prayer, in case you're wondering. He laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, pay what you owe me. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not have also had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the tortures until he should pay all that was due him. And here's our final verse, verse 35. So my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart, that's insincerity, does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Strong words from Jesus about forgiveness. You see, forgiveness isn't an option in the kingdom of God. Forgiveness is a command. And this is very difficult because I know there are people in here today who have struggled with some unthinkable things. Rape, sexual abuse, suffered with divorce, suffered with children, uh, going and taking um, things from you and treating you bad, suffering from a boss just hammering you at work, suffering from something that's extremely painful, And it puts us in the place where we want to grab onto unforgiveness. We want to grab onto this enemy of the faith because it makes us feel better. Let's talk about unforgiveness for a second. Now, this isn't a typo. This is your write in right here. Your first write in. Unforgiveness. Write the you. Write the you in unforgiveness. Because here's what I found out about the word unforgiveness. The only people that can put the U and the N, the unforgiveness on the word forgiveness, is me. It's ourselves. So turn to your neighbor right now and say, you put it there. Just turn to him. You put it there. Other things about unforgiveness. Are you ready for this? In the English language, I love this. I'm typing this word on my notes. And every time I type this word on my notes... It's a red squiggly line. I'm going, well, of course, unforgiveness has to be a word. Well, check this out on my computer screen. Uh, When I ran the, the grammar check, it says, not in the dictionary. Unforgiveness isn't even a word. Do you see? It's something that should not even be a part of our lives. It shouldn't even be a part of our vocabulary. It can't be a place that we go because when we go there, that enemy keeps us from a grateful heart toward God and here's your blanket it says, "I put others in the way of a grateful heart." Now we talked about what, what, what gratefulness is, and we talked about the four elements: the giver, the thoughts, the verbal response, and it's directed at God. Take your pen and circle pleasing thoughts. pleasing thoughts up there on the recap section, because pleasing thoughts is the place that this enemy attacks. This enemy attacks your mind more than any else. In fact, remember how last week we said pride kind of waits in the shadows. It doesn't do much to you. You can get prideful and prideful and you keep getting a bigger head and you keep getting more excited about yourself and then pride comes out of nowhere and will deliver a knockout blow and leave you on the floor for good. Unforgiveness is not that way. Unforgiveness will nag at you. It will wake you up in the morning with a person that you're angry at. It will keep you awake at night. It will cause you to walk into work with a terrible attitude. It will cause you to come home and to hate life because of something your family has done. Unforgiveness seeks to take just a little bit away from you day by day by day. Here's a few things about unforgiveness before we continue. Unforgiveness demonstrates a lack of ability to do business with God. You see, if you're putting other people in the way, it's saying, you know what, this is really a subject I have to deal with God on, this hurt, this pain, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to choose a little bit easier victim. And in God's economy, forgiveness is one of the best currencies you can use, if you want to do business with God, start to understand how to forgive other people. Now, I know, that, and we'll get to this later, some of us don't understand forgiveness because we don't understand how much we've been forgiven, much like the servant who went out and demanded payment from other people. Here's the second thing that unforgiveness is. It's reserved for those looking for a lesser opponent to provide a cheap win. I had this guy named Damon who lived in my house. When I was 10 years old I was the oldest of four boys and I loved it Because I could beat up anyone at any time Any time I wanted But this guy named Damon came to live in our house For about 3 or 4 months And Damon was 16 And I remember sometimes being really mad at Damon And What I had learned in my house was that If I was angry I could go beat a brother up And feel pretty good about it But I, I learned that with Damon It wasn't going to be that way if I walked up to Damon and took a punch, I was on the floor. I was crying. I was crying to my mom and my dad, and they'd say, well, that was stupid, right? Because <laughs> you're 10, and he's 16. Well, what unforgiveness does is it, it, it's just an attempt to get a cheap win. Hey, I want to deal with God, but God, I know you're too big. I'm going to try to throw a knockout punch. I'm mad. So you know what I'll do? I'll get this person over here that I can get a win on. That I could just be mad at and feel better about myself. Wow, unforgiveness, it's tough. And here's the third thing it does. It indicates a lack of trust that God is able to reconcile what has been lost. In other other words, we don't understand the resource or the inheritance that God gives us for the Christian. If you're here today and you're not a believer, you need this resource. Because true forgiveness is impossible apart from the resource of God. Why could the master forgive the servant who owed so much? It's because he didn't really even need it. He didn't really even need it. And our God is able to replace what has been lost. Do you believe that today? That God is able to restore the things that are broken, to give back the things that you and I think can never pop up in front of our face again. God can give those back. And when we embrace this enemy of unforgiveness... It shows a lack of trust in who God is. You may say, how do I know I'm stuck in unforgiveness? Well, here are are a few ways. You may want to write these down. They're not on the screen. Uh, Gossip. If you have to continually talk about someone negatively, that enemy is knocking you out. If you have to either wake up thinking about someone or go to bed thinking about them, that enemy is is knocking you out. If you cannot find joy because of a name that is in your head, you just can't find joy, that enemy is knocking you out. Now, how do we get past this? Well, what we have to understand is that lasting forgiveness is possible. Do you believe that today? That lasting forgiveness is possible. Some of you, I know that's a hard thing to shake your head, yes, at. You know what? In my life, it's been, there have been times where it's been a hard thing to shake my head and go, Forgiveness is possible. You see, when I was a youth pastor, I had a rule as a youth pastor, and it was this never play a game you couldn't win, all right? And so I'm dealing with teenagers, and if they wanted to play kickball, I'm like, Yeah, let's play some kickball, right? I can kick the ball. If they said, Dave, do you want to race? I'm thinking, Does it look like I race? You know what I'm saying? I'm not going to race. No, I, I, I want to win. And uh, I would play, only play video games that I knew I could win at. I would do all these things that would, that would ensure my victory. But you know what? That was really not a good uh, thing to apply to the rest of my life because I found out later on when, uh, uh, you know, one year when people made a decision and I lost my retirement, my savings, and my house all in the same year, I found out that there was not a cheap win that I could deliver to myself. And you know what? When life happens to you, there's not a cheap win you can deliver to yourself. And you have to embrace that forgiveness is possible for those who belong to Christ. And, and you know, the very nature of being a Christian means that you believe forgiveness is possible. Why? Because you believe you have been forgiven by who? By God. So just being, the, the very nature of a Christian says that forgiveness is a, is a possibility no matter what's happened. Now think about this for a second. How did Jesus demonstrate this? In Luke 23, verse 34, Jesus gave the famous words. He said, Father, forgive them, if you know it, say it with me, for they know not what they do. He said that. Now, if Jesus said that, and our goal as a Christian is to look more like Jesus, then we have to forgive. Check out Romans 8:28. You don't have to you don't have to go there. It's a very popular verse. It says all things work together for the Does anybody know it? the good for those who are who, who know and are called by the Lord. But what we never get is verse 29. You see, we want God to work out things for our good, but we never define what good really is. And so we struggle with things like unforgiveness and pride and pain. What is good according to the scripture? If you go one verse down from that verse that tells us that all things work together for good for those who love the Lord. It says, for those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. You see, when God saved you, he has a plan for your character to be reformed and reshaped to, be, to look more like Jesus Christ. And part of that equation a great currency in God's kingdom is forgiveness. It's forgiveness. Check out, in your program or on the screen, Colossians 1, 19 through 22. Uh, this verse describes exactly what Jesus did for you and I. This is the forgiveness that we believe is possible for us, for God to forgive us our sin. This is what it says in verse 19 of Colossians 1. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in, in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything. That's a lot of things, isn't it? Everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you. Here, You see where our vision statement comes from, right? You who were once far away from God. You were his enemies separated from him by your enemies. Evil thoughts and actions. There's your mind, right, at work. And that's why the mind is important. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ and his physical body. As a result, he has brought you and I into his presence and made us holy and blameless as we stand before him without a single fault. Do you realize that when you stand before God in eternity because of the work of Christ on the cross... There is not a single fault in us. How much have you been forgiven? How much? If you've come to Christ, you have that type of forgiveness. And this is the type of forgiveness that Jesus is talking about in the parable in Matthew chapter 18. When he's saying, we are the servants who have been forgiven. Now we need to go and forgive the debts of others. But I I realize you may say, Dave. I would love to forgive, but I I just want to know how. How can I forgive? How is it possible? I try so hard. You know, I've heard people say so many times over and over again when they've been wronged to go, I have tried so hard to forgive, but I can't. Well, I want to give you three tangible areas that will help you forgive the unforgivable person in your life. Here they are. These are three battlegrounds where a grateful heart can be won through the tool of forgiveness. Here's the first one, the cross. The cross. Up in verse 20, it said that he made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on, say it, the cross. On the cross. What is the cross? It's the place where an innocent party pays the price. You see, the reason why Jesus gave this this money example in Matthew 18 is that he knew that forgiveness is only needed when there's a debt to pay. Someone has taken something from us that meant a lot that we cared about. Someone has come in and left us bankrupt. And we say, Who is going to pay this back? Who is going to to owe me? Who is going to make this right? Who's going to reconcile my life's checkbook emotionally, spiritually, or physically, or financially? Who's going to do it? There's a price to pay, but you see, the cross is the place where the innocent party pays the debt. What does this mean? This means that the battleground of forgiveness can only be won when we decide that we will pay the debt For the person who has wronged us, just like Jesus paid the debt for us when we have spent our life wronging him. The cross. So here's here's battleground one. Make sure that you're willing to pay the price. Take that obligation away from the other person and say, I will now pay the debt. I'll make it right. If it's the last thing I do, I will let that person go free. Here's the second battleground it's my mind. It's my mind. In verse 21 of Colossians 1, we learn that what, what were the things that separated us from God? We were separated by, uh, from him by our evil thoughts and actions. You see, true forgiveness can be one in the mind. It attacks your pleasing thoughts, and so you're going to have to learn to put up a gate. Uh, how many of you have ever been attacked by a dog? right? Um, I've spent my life being attacked by dogs. You know, when I was in the sixth grade, there was this Chinese child that I had to kick like every day to the bus stop. You know what I'm saying? It just ran after me and it was ugly and mean and I didn't like it. Well, uh, a few years ago, I had a Rottweiler chase me uh, off this guy's property when I was helping a friend do some woodwork out in the driveway back in Florida. And I thought, oh no, I'm having sixth grade flashbacks. I'm going to die. Where's my backpack? Can I swing it? And uh, all of a sudden, this dog, running, growling, uh, as loud as it can, really angry, it goes, mm, it stops. And I'm thinking, Ha-ha, in the name of Jesus, you know? <laughs> That's right. Stay back, dog. And then the guy I was working with, he chuckled. He went, I don't know why you're worried. He goes, that guy has an electric fence. He has a dog collar on. That dog, he's going to get shocked, and he's going to fall on the ground and die if he goes any further than that. And that dog knows it. Well, your mind... Your mind is the electric fence, the invisible electric fence that you put in place that says, I will not allow my thoughts to go any further than what is pleasing, than what is noble, than what is loving, than what is pure towards the person you're struggling to forgive. Your mind is a great battleground of forgiveness. And when we're willing to say, these are the boundaries, my mind cannot go there, the dog stops. We call off the dogs. That is when we begin to really win with forgiveness in our heart and in our mind. Here's the third place, the third battleground where we learn how to forgive it's in my future. I'm not talking about the other person's future talking about my future, your future individually. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 22, at the very bottom, it says this. As a result, you're looking at this? As a result, he has brought you into his own presence. And this is what Jesus has done for us. We are now holy. We are now blameless. And we stand with him without a single fault. See, when Jesus forgave, you know what he did? He gave us a future to work toward. God saved us to look like the image of his son, Jesus Christ. He had this plan in place automatically. And so one of the things he did is he gave us a track to run on. No longer is my life going to be defined by bitterness or by hate or by the things that have happened to me that I don't think I deserved. Now my life is defined by the character of God that I am pursuing. And every time we grab onto unforgiveness, every time we decide to to, to engage with this enemy and, to, and do battle with him instead of against him, what we do is we trade in the, the, where God wants us to go. We trade in the inheritance and the glory and the riches of Christ for our cheap win, so that we could feel good about ourselves. And so how do you win in forgiveness? You say, you know what? I'm not becoming a bitter person. God did not save me for that purpose. That is not what is good. God saved me to be holy. And so therefore, I'm going to win the battle at the cross, paying the price. I'm going to win the battle of the invisible shield with my mind and putting up that gate, saying my mind can't go there. Why? Because I have a future and I'm headed that way, and I'm not going to let someone who's wronged me knock me off the path. Now, I know the question arises, Dave, what if I win these battles? What if I, I go to the cross and I pay the debt? What if my mind starts doing well? What if, what if I'm on track for a godly future to look more like Jesus, and, I, and I've disengaged from unforgiveness, and the person, the person won't take it? The person's just not going not gonna to come and not going to reconcile. Here's what you have to do. Just like Jesus did, you leave the offer on the table. You leave the offer on the table and you continue to please your Father in heaven. His work on the cross is there for as many as who will receive him. But you want to know what? There are some people who will walk away, but he says, you know what? My sacrifice is still there. (laughs) Take it or leave it. Take it or leave it. You don't pull forgiveness back from people who won't receive But here's the biggest thing today as as we come near a close. Back in Matthew chapter 18, verse 35, after Jesus gave this description of the master and the servant and the debt that was paid, he said, So my heavenly Father will also do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. And ultimately, when Jesus saved us, he allowed us to go free, didn't he? He, he? We were dead in sin. We were headed to hell, eternity apart from God. And yet, by the work of the cross, we were allowed to go free. And here's the truth. Unforgiveness is one of these enemies that there's only one person who can unlock the door. And that's you. Unforgiveness usually is waiting for someone else to rescue you from this room that you're locked inside of. But guess what? The key is on the floor next to your, next to your feet. And the lock that you stick the key in is on the inside of the room. And you have to do it. And you have to let people go free. You see, unforgiveness is yelling these words over and over. Kill, kill, kill. Unforgiveness is your chance to lift up the ax and to take out the anger and the bitterness and the pain on another person instead of doing business with God. But here's the truth today. If you will drop... Drop the enemy of unforgiveness. When the, when the enemy of unforgiveness says, put the person down, if you'll drop all the anger and all the hate and let them go free, that enemy will run away from you and will flee. Forgive, unforgiveness will flee from you and forgiveness will reign. God's mercy will reign. You can let the person go free. So this brings us to the ultimate question today. Who is the person that you need to forgive? Whom will I forgive today? Who has wronged me? Who, maybe I've been living with this pain all my life since I was a kid. Maybe I've been living with the pain since I got married. Maybe I've been living with the pain since my kids went to college. Maybe I've been living with the unforgiveness Because I've been wronged and I like it. I like being angry. Well, today is the day where you can let yourself and the other person be free and freedom in Christ will reign. Do you believe that forgiveness is possible today through Jesus Christ? It is. Yeah, we can praise the Lord for that. And so as we come to this time of response, um, I would ask you to take out your connection card. It was in your program, and this is where you can do business with God. Do you know today, you can place your faith in Jesus Christ for the first time. The Bible says that if you'll believe on his work on the cross, his spilled blood for the forgiveness of sin, if you'll admit your sin, say, God, I need you, and I, I depend on that work. The Bible says you can be saved, and you can repent and live a life that's pleasing to God if you need to do that today. There's a sample prayer on the back. It's not a magical prayer, but it talks. it's something you could say to God if you would like to place your faith in him. Maybe today you need to write a prayer request that says, God, will you help me to forgive this unforgivable person in my life? I need you. We can knock this enemy out. You can do it. Maybe today you need to participate in the baptism and, and express and show your freedom. Show the freedom that God has given you to the world. You've come to Jesus Christ, but you haven't obeyed him in baptism. Today at the 10-minute party, right after service, we will be having a baptism. Maybe today you can show the freedom to the world by that. But whatever it is, you do business with God and do not leave this place unless you are walking in the freedom of forgiveness, both in your own life and toward others. to the teaching ministry of Elevation Church. You can find out more about our church or listen to other messages at elevationbillings.com. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.